Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Going Up Cast, your weekly feel-good podcast, where this week we start a brand new audiobook adventure. I have my closing remarks on a wonderful TV show, and I talk about some brand new video games that are hitting the forest floor. That's right, this week we start the first three chapters of Alice's 2 Through the Looking Glass Boogaloo. That's not what it's called, but I can't remember the exact wording of it. But we're starting the next Alice in Wonderland book. Um, I finished watching Gravity Falls, and I talked about that for quite some time. I started playing Animal Crossing New Horizons, and I think I briefly mentioned um, that Persona 5 Royal uh, comes out today while you're hearing this, but it actually comes out yesterday at like 9 p.m., and at the time of recording this, I'm eight and a half hours away from being able to play it, and I'm very, 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 very excited. Uh, and if you like the Gumcast and wish to support the Gumcast, there's lots of ways in which you can do that. You can go to patreon.com forward slash goingupcast where you can become a five dollar patron, get access to the monthly live streams, and that's it. Suppose you could also send me money if you knew where I lived, but that just seems sketchy, so we're just not gonna we're just not gonna worry about that anymore. Especially during the, the, the current time when when things are so hectic and unsure as they are right now. I hope you guys are all having a wonderful week, and hopefully this uh, this hour-long podcast can take your mind off of some of that shit as we begin a brand new adventure in the magical world of Alice. Just a quick side note as we begin this brand new book. I have a brand spanking new monitor. It's 27 inches in length, um, or size, I guess, and it's big and it's beautiful and it's curved and I can watch like Netflix and stuff from my bed but it also makes it really easy to read these books when I'm drunk which is exactly what I am right now anyway so begins the adventure through the looking glass and what Alice found there by Lewis Carroll oh boy um I don't know I think it's about the same length as the first one but just like the first one it begins with some verse <clears throat> Child of the pure, unclouded brow, and dreaming eyes of wonder, through though time be fleet, and I and thou are half a life asunder, thy loving smile will surely hail the love gift of a fairy tale. I have not seen thy sunny face, nor heard thy silver laughter, nor thought of me shall f- no thought of me shall find a place in thy young life's hereafter. Enough that now. Thou wilt not fail to listen to my fairy tale. A tale begun in other days when summer suns were glowing, a simple chime that serves to time the rhythm of our rowing, whose echoes live in memory yet, uh, though envious years would say forget. Come hearken ere voice of dread with bitter tidings laden. Shall summer to unwelcome bed a melancholy maiden, we are but older children, dear, who fret to find our bedtime near. Without the frost, the blinding snow, the storm wind's moody madness, within the firelight's ruddy glow and childhood's nest of gladness, the magic word shall hold the fast, thou shalt not heed the raving blast. And, though the shadow of a sigh may tremble through the story for happy summer glory, it shall not touch with breath of bale the pleasance of our fairy tale. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Um, and then it shows a, uh, chessboard here, um, of how white pawn Alice to play and win in 11 moves. And then it shows me Alice meets RQ, Alice through Q's third by railway to Q's fourth trilogy. 
don't know what the fuck. I don't know what's going on there. Here's a preface. I'll read it. As the chess problem given on the previous page has puzzled some of my readers, it may be well to explain that it is correctly worked out so far as the moves are concerned. The alternation of red and white is perhaps not so strictly observed as it might be, and the castling of the three queens is merely a way of saying they have entered the palace. But the check of the white king at move six, the capture of the red knight at move seven, and the final checkmate of the red king will be found by anyone who will take the trouble to set the pieces and play the moves as directed to be strictly in accordance with the laws of the game. The new words in the poem Jabberwocky, see page 19, has have given to some differences of opinions or opinion as to their pronunciation so that it uh, so it may be well to give instructions on that point also pronounced slithy as if it were or sly um slithy as if it were to the word sly the make the g hard in jeer and jimble and pronounce wrath to rhyme with bath Okay. Interesting. Christmas 1896 is how that is autographed. Anyway, through the looking glass of what Alice found there. Chapter 1. Looking glasses. And the picture here is of a cat playing with a ball of yarn with what appears to be a bow around its neck or a very weird looking mouse riding its shoulders. It is unclear. Though, uh, God damn it. First word out of the out of the gate. It's wrong. Not though, it's one. Let's try that again. One thing was certain, that the white kitten had had nothing to do with it. It was the black kitten's fault entirely. But the white kitten had been having its face washed by the old cat for the last quarter of an hour and bearing it pretty well, considering. So you see that it couldn't have had any hand in the mischief. The way Dinah washed her children's faces was this. First, she held the poor thing down by its ear with one paw. Then with the other paw, she rubbed its face all over. The wrong way, beginning at the nose. And just now, as I said, she was hard at work on the white kitten, which was lying, quite still and trying to purr. No doubt feeling it was all meant for its good. But the black kitten had been finished with uh, earlier in the afternoon. And so, while Alice was sitting curled up in a corner of the great armchair, half talking to herself and half asleep, the kitten had been having a grand game of romps with the ball of worsted. worsted. Alice had been trying to wind up and had been rolling it up and down till it had all come undone again. And there it was, spread over the hearth rug, all knots and tangles, with the kitten running after its own tail in the middle. Oh, you wicked little thing, cried Alice, catching up to the kitten and giving it a little kiss to make it understand that it was in disgrace. Really, Dinah ought to have taught you better manners. You ought, Dinah, you know you ought, she added, looking reproachfully at the old cat and speaking in a cross as a voice as she could manage. Then she scrambled back into the armchair, taking the kitten again, and the worsted with her, and began winding up the ball again. I'm guessing it's yarn. I'm guessing it's yarn. Uh, but she didn't get on very fast, and she was talking all the time, sometimes to the kitten, sometimes to herself. The kitten, or kitty, sat very demurely on her knee, pretending to watch the progress of the winding, and now and again putting one paw to gently touch the ball, as if it would be glad to help, if it might. Do you know what tomorrow is, kitty? Alice began. You would have guessed if you had been up in the window with me, only Dino was making you tidy, so you couldn't. I was watching the boys getting in stick for the bonfire. And it um, it wants plenty of sticks, Kitty. Only it got so cold and snowed again, so they had to leave off. Never mind, Kitty. We'll go off and see the bonfire tomorrow. Here Alice wound two or three turns of the worsted round Kitty's neck, just to see how it would look. 
This led to a scramble in which the ball rolled down upon the floor, and yards and yards of it got unwound again. Do you know I was so angry, Kitty? Alice went on as uh, soon as they were comfortably settled again. When I saw all the mischief you had been doing, I was very leniently opening the window and put you out into the snow. You would have had deserved it, you mischievous little darling. What uh, have what have you got to say for yourself? Now don't interrupt me, she went on holding up one finger. I'm going to tell you all your faults. Number one, you squeaked twice when uh, Dinah was washing your face this morning. Now you can't deny it, Kitty, I heard you. What that you say? What that you say, really? All right. Pretending that the kidding was speaking. Her paw went in your eye? Well, that's your fault for keeping your eyes open. If you'd shut them tight up, you wouldn't have ha it wouldn't have happened. Now don't make any more excuses, but listen. Number two, you pulled Snowdrop away by the tail just as I had put down the saucer of milk before her. What, you were thirsty, were you? How do you know she wasn't thirsty too? Now for number three, you unwound every bit of the worsted when I wasn't looking. And then here's a picture of Alice sitting in a chair with a cat and a ball of yarn. That's three faults, Kitty, and you've not been punished for any of them. You know I'm saving up all your punishments for Wednesday week. What the fuck is Wednesday week? Suppose they saved up all my punishments, she went on talking more to herself than to the kitten. What would they do at the end of a year? I should be sent to prison, I suppose, when the day came. Or let me see, suppose each punishment was to go without dinner. Then when the miserable day came, I should go without 50 dinners at once. Well, I shouldn't mind that much. I'd far rather go without them than eat them. Well, it's because you're eating British food, and British food is terrible. Do you hear the snow against the window panes, Kitty? How do you hear snow? The sound of snow is the sound of silence because the snow muffles everything. How nice and soft it sounds. Just as if someone was kissing the windows all over the outside. God, that'd be terrifying. You look out the window and be like, what the fuck, Tom? Get the fuck out of here. I have to clean that now. I'm out of Windex, you bastard. Fuck you, Tom. I wonder if the snow loves the trees and fields and it kisses them so gently. And then it covers them up snug, you know, with a white quilt. Perhaps it says, go to sleep, darlings, till summer comes again. And then when they wake up in the summer, Kitty, they dress themselves in all in green and dance about whenever the wind blows. Oh, that's very pretty, cried Alice, dropping the ball of worsted to clap her hands. Um, and I do so wish it was true. I'm sure the wind, the woods look sleepy in autumn when the leaves are getting brown. Kitty, can you play chess? Now, don't smile, my dear. I'm asking it seriously. Because when we were playing just now and you watched, um, just as if you understood it, when I said check, you purred. Well, it was a nice check, Kitty. Really, I might have won if it hadn't been for that nasty night. It came wiggling down all my pieces. Kitty, dear, let's pretend. And here I wish I could tell you half the things Alice used to uh, used to say, beginning with her favorite phrase, let's pretend. She had had quite a long argument with her sister, only to say, only the say before. Only the say before. I'm guessing it's only the day before, but all right. All because Alice had begun with let's pretend we're kings and queens. And her sister... Who liked being very exact, had argued with uh, that they couldn't because there were only two of them, and Alice had been reduced to say at last, Well, you can be one of them, and I'll be the rest. And at once she had frightened her old nurse by shouting suddenly in her ear, Nurse, do let's pretend that I'm a hungry hyena, Miss Belt, and you're a bone. I'm going to chew on you, bitch. But this is taking us away from Alice's speech to the kitty. Let's pretend you are the Red Queen, kitty. Do you know, I think if you sat up and folded your arms, you've got it, you'd look exactly like her. Now do try, there's a dear. Alice got the Red Queen off the table and set it up before the kitten as a model for it to imitate. However, the thing didn't succeed principally, Alice said, because the kitten wouldn't fold its arms properly. So, to punish it, she held up the looking glass, held it up to the looking glass, so I might see how sulky it was. And if you're no good directly, she added, I'll put you through into that looking glass house. How would you like that? Now, if you only attend, kitty, and not talk so much, I'll tell you all my ideas about Looking Glass House. 
First, there's a room that you can see through the glass. That's just the same as our drawing room. The only thing, only the things go the other way. I can see it all when I get up on a chair. All but that bit behind the fireplace. Or do you so wish I could see that bit? I want to know, uh, I want so much to know what they've, whether they've a fire in the winter. You never can tell, you know, unless our fire smokes. And the smoke comes up into that room too. But that may only be a pretense. Just, uh, to make it look as if they had a fire. Well, the books are something like our books, only the words go the wrong way. I know that because I've held one of our books up to the glass, and they hold up the other one in the other room. How would you like to live in the looking glass house, Kitty? I wonder if they give you milk in there. Perhaps looking glass milk isn't good to drink. But oh, Kitty, we've come to the passage. You can just see a little peep, a passage in the looking glass house if you leave the door of our drawing room wide open. It's very like our passage, as far as you can see. Only you know. It may be quite different on beyond. Oh, Kitty, how nice it would be if we could only get through the looking glass house. <coughs> Sorry, my throat is dying on me. <coughs> Damn. Oh, man. Sorry. I am very hammered. Very, very hammered. Anyway, it's a drawing of Alice up Above what appears to be a mantelpiece just staring into the mirror just like her hand pressed against it I'm guessing she's gonna fall through it I'm sure it's got oh such beautiful things in it let's pretend uh, there's a way to get through it somehow kitty let's pretend the class has got a uh, soft like gauze so that we can get through why it's turning into sort of a mist now I declare It'd be easy enough to get through she was up on the chimney piece while she said this though it was hardly uh, knew how she got there and certainly the glass was beginning to melt away just like a bright silvery mist. Another moment, Alice was through the glass and had jumped lightly down into the looking glass room. The very first thing she did uh, was to look whether there was a fire in the fireplace. She was quite pleased to find that there was a real one, blazing away as brightly as the one she had left behind. So I shall be as warm in here as I was in the old room, thought Alice. Warmer, in fact, because there'll be no one here to scold me away from the fire. Oh, what fun it'll be when they see me in the, through the glass in here and they can't get at me. Then she began to look about, and noticed what uh, could be seen from the old room was quite common and uninteresting, but that all the rest was as different as possible. For instance, the pictures on the walls next to the fire uh, seemed to be all alive, and the very clock on the chimney piece, you know you can only see the back of it in the looking glass, I got the face of a little old man and grinned at her. They don't keep this room so tidy as the others, and I thought to herself as she noticed several other chessmen down in the hearth among the cinders, but in another moment there was a little surprise of, oh! And uh, she was down on her hands and knees watching them. The chessmen were walking about two and two. Here are the red king and the red queen, Alice said in a whisper for fear of frightening them. And there are the white knight and the white queen sitting on the edge of the shovel. And here are the two castles walking arm in arm. I don't think they can hear me, she went on as she put her head closer. I'm sh nearly sure they can't see me. I feel somehow as if I were invisible. Here's something began to squeak on the table behind Alice and she made to turn her head just in time to see one of the white pawns roll over and begin kicking. She watched it with great curiosity to see what would happen next. <sighs> Sorry. God damn. I'm almost very sleepy, apparently. I still need to take a shower. It's the voice of my child! The white queen cried out as she rushed past the king so violently that she knocked, himself, uh, knocked him over among the cinders. My precious lily! My imperial kitten! She began scrambling wildly up the side of the fender. And now Alice is on the other side of the glass with her arm, like, in between and... It shows us all the mystical stuff, including that uh, clock with an old man's face. Boy, isn't that whimsical. Imperial, uh, imperial fiddlesticks, said the king, rubbing his nose, which had been hurt by the fall. He had the right to be a little annoyed with the queen, for he was covered with ashes from head to foot. 
Ash was very anxious to be of use, and as the poor Lily was nearly screaming herself into fit, she hastily picked up the queen and set her on the table by the side of her nosy little daughter. The queen gasped and sat down. The rapid journey through the air quite taken her breath away. For a minute or two, she could do nothing but hug little Lily in silence. As soon as she had recovered her breath a little, she called out to the white king, who was sitting sulkily among the ashes. Mind the volcano! What volcano? said the king, looking anxiously into the fire, as if he thought it was the most likely place to find one. Blew me up, panted the queen who was still a little out of breath. Mind you, come up the regular way. Don't get blown up. Alice watched the white king as he slowly struggled from bar to bar until at last she said, Well, you'll be hours and hours getting to the table at that rate. It'd be far better to help you, hadn't I? But the king took no notice of the question. It was quite clear that he could he neither hear nor see her. So Alice picked him up very gently and lifted him across more slowly than he had, she had lifted the queen, uh, uh, that she mightn't take his breath away. But before she could put him on the table, she thought she might as well dust him a little. He was so covered with ashes. She said afterward that she had never in her all her life seen such a face as the king made when he found himself held in the air by an invisible hand and being dusted. He was far much too much astonished to cry out, but his eyes and his mouth went on, on getting larger and larger and rounder and rounder until her hand shook with so laughing that she nearly let him drop to the floor. Oh, please don't make such faces, my dear, she cried, quite forgetting the king couldn't hear her. You make me laugh so that I can hardly hold you. And don't keep your mouth uh, so wide. All the ash will get in there. Uh, there. Now I think you're tidy enough, she added, as she smoothed his hair and set him upon the table near the queen. God, that must be terrifying if you can't see that. And then it's a drawing of all the chess pieces. The king immediately fell flat on his back and lay perfectly still, and Alice was alarmed at what she had done and went around the room to see if she could find any water to throw over him. However, she could find nothing but a bottle of ink, and when she got back, she found uh, he had recovered, and he and the queen were talking together in a frightened whisper, so low that Alice could hardly hear what they said. The king was saying, I assure you, my dear, I turned cold at the very end of my whiskers, to which the queen replied, You haven't got any whiskers. The horror of that moment, the king went on, I shall never, never forget it. You will, though, the king said, if you don't make a memorandum of it. Alice looked on with great interest as the king took an enormous memorandum book out of his pocket and began writing. A sudden thought struck her. And she took hold of the end of the pencil, which came some way over his shoulder and began writing for him. The poor king was puzzled and unhappy and struggled with the pencil for some time uh, without saying anything. But Alice was too strong for him, and at last he panted, My dear, I really must be must get a thin pencil. Can't manage this one a bit. Writes all manners of things I don't intend. What matter of things? said the queen, looking over uh, the book in which Alice had put, The white knight is sliding down the poker. He balances very badly. That's not a memorandum of your feelings. There was a book lying near Alice on the table uh, where, uh, while she sat watching the White King, uh, for she was still a little anxious about him, and had the ink all ready to throw over him in case he fainted again. She turned over the leaves to find some part she could read, for it's all in some language. I, for it's all in some language. I don't know. She said to herself, "It was like this." Oh man, it's um, it's backwards. It's it's the Jabberwocky poem, but it's backwards. Um, but it, it appears to flip around later on down the page. So I'm just going to continue scrolling down. Um, she puzzled over this for some time, but at last a bright thought struck her. Why, it's in a looking glass book, of course. If I hold it up against the glass, the words will all go right way again. This was the poem Alice read. Now, I have been fucking just called out ahead of time that if I fuck up the Jabberwocky poem... I'm, I'm going to get my ass kicked. So I'm going to really try and focus and do this justice in the first take. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Jabberwocky. 
Twas brilling in the slithy toves, did gyre and jimble in their wabe. All mimsy were the boar groves, and the moam wrath outgrabe. Beware the jabberwocky, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jab-jab bird, and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand, long time the maxim foe he sought. So rested he by the tum-tum tree, and stood a while in thought. And as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling through the tuggly woods, and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. And has thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O frabjous day, kalu kalay, he chortled in his joy. Twas brailing and slithy toves, did gyre and jimble in the wave. All mimsy were the boar groves, and the mumph wrath outgrabe. I think I fucking nailed it. I am trashed, and I fucking nailed it. I'm a goddamn professional. I'm a goddamn professional. Anyway. It seems very pretty, she said when she finished it, but it's rather hard to understand. You see, she didn't like to confess, even to herself, that she couldn't make out make it out at all. Somehow it seems to fill my head with ideas. Only I don't exactly know what they are. However, somebody killed something, that's clear at any rate. But oh, thought Alice suddenly jumping up. If I don't make haste, I shall have to go back through the looking glass before I've seen the, what the rest of the house looks like. Let's have a look at the garden first. She was out of the room in a moment, ran down the stairs, or at least it wasn't exactly running, as a new invention of hers for getting down the stairs quickly and easily, as Alice said to herself. She kept the tips of her fingers on the handrail and floated gently down without even touching the stairs with her feet. Uh, then she floated on through the hall and would have gone straight out the door in the same way if she hadn't caught hold of the doorpost. She was getting a little giddy with so much floating in the air and was rather glad to find herself walking again in the normal way. And the drawing at the end of this chapter is of the Jabberwocky and it is fucking fantastic. I've seen this exact image a lot. Um, oh god. And um, just like cursory Google searches but the fucking image of the Jabberwocky with that son of a bitch looks like it is a fantastic mythical beast. I love the Jabberwocky. Say what you will about the live-action animated version of Alice in Wonderland, um, but Christopher Lee being the voice of the Jabberwocky is fucking amazing. So, big fan of that. I cannot believe I read the Jabberwocky poem correctly. I cannot believe I nailed it. Oh, man. I mean, when... Yeah, fucking... Some of these... Some of these fucking, um, like, passages were so ingrained in me because of common culture. Beware the Jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite the claws that catch. Beware the Jabberwock and shun the frumious bandersnatch. It's like fucking Roll Doll over here. It's it's really good. Fraptious day, Kalu Kalei. I say Fraptious fairly often. Um, and it's, it's funny to me where it's like, the original book had like, I don't even fucking really know, you know. Some of those things were in the movie, but not all of it. And this one, it's like, I'm more familiar with this one for some reason. And it's it's interesting to me. Um, I'm very excited to see what else I actually know of Through the Looking Glass. I think it'd be very curious to me if I was more familiar with the sequel than I was with the original. I don't know. We'll find out. Oh, God. Okay.
Falls. All right. Gravity Falls is pretty good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. All right, fine. Fine. Everybody was right. It's a good show. Uh, uh, oh, God. That was quite the ending. Holy shit. That was like five incredible... What a finale. God damn. Oh. Fuck you. God damn it. Oh, that was really good. <laughs> I'm not crying. You're crying. Shut up. Oh, the finale made me cry like three times. Oh. Okay. Let me actually talk about it. So, season two was leaps and bounds better than season one. Even if I got incredibly frustrated with Mabel, since she was responsible for, like, 90% of the show's problems. Um, but, god damn it, if it didn't fucking pull it out in the end. That was, that was a, a fucking redemption of a finale. It, it fucking... It stuck the landing so goddamn hard. It's better than Star versus the Forces Evil for fucking sure because this this is like just holy crap. It it kind of it kind of did its goal perfectly. Like it's it set out to do. It told this one story, and it fucking nailed it. And massive props to the showrunners for knowing when to. St- to call it quits. Now, I believe the story continues in the graphic novel, which I might actually read because if I can find like a volume or something of it, I would absolutely love to see what happens um, next. But wow. Oh boy. It, it almost like the end of this show hit me like the end of like Spirited Away hits you, where there were so many incredible memories and characters and relationships made on um, Chihiro's adventure that you hate to leave the the magical world that you fell in love with throughout the course of the movie. And, I mean, Gravity Fa- it took Gravity Falls, you know, two seasons to achieve what Spirited Away achieves in two hours. But it's the same feeling. Like, sure, it took longer to get there, but... It, it's the same level of fuck I want to go back I want to I want to relive that adventure like season one honest to god I could have like this show I could have taken it or leaving it it was it was nothing in season one made me want to keep going but I knew that the show was really good and um at the end of season one I didn't believe that I, I like no like I was staring at everybody going like really this show really all right I don't fucking fine. I guess I, I don't believe you, but I'll give it a shot. And season two, kind of almost right out the gate, is just so much better than season one because season one it's a lot of character, kind of monster of the week stuff. But season two starts building towards something bigger than itself, and it really fucking does a great job of that. Um, I know there's a lot of like hidden Easter eggs in the show, and I'm sure if I go back. I'll, and watch it again, I'll sit there and be like, oh, hey, it's this thing for for that and all these other stuff, and I'm sure that's that's possible. But it, it, it takes a lot of risks that pay off, 
it goes in some directions that I wasn't expecting. And I will absolutely say that season two has some imagery and some moments and some things happen that made me kind of sit up and go, holy shit, this was a kid show? God damn. Like, if I was a kid and I watched Gravity Falls, this show would have fucked me right up. Um, so, ba- massive, massive props to that. This, oh my god, I feel like this was exactly what the creator, Alex Hirsch, wanted in his show. I don't, I don't think it got censored. I don't think it got altered. I think this was his vision to a T and it's right up there next to like some of the best animated shows I've ever seen. It is definitely better than the star versus the forces of evil. Don't get me wrong. I loved star versus the forces of evil. Just like gravity falls. That show also stuck the landing in terms of its finale. Um, and the finale was the best part of the show. 110%. But in both of these shows cases, the finale is only made so impactful because of the journey and the characters that you get to know throughout the course of the rest of the show. So big props to both of these shows. They are absolutely worth seeing. If you had to, if I had to pick one, I suppose it depends on what you're looking for. Really? If you want a show that deals with like coming of age you you do a pretty good job with both of them. If you want to show that doesn't lose its way in the mire of bullshit, but only gets better as it continues, then Gravity Falls is the way to go. It definitely goes from like a B minus to an A plus with no, like it doesn't really ever dip. It continuously got better as the show went on. Each episode was better than the last. And there aren't many shows I can say about that where it just it just constantly kept going up and up and up and up and up, and the ending point was its highest point. So Gravity Falls, in terms of linear consistency, was superior. There is more of Star vs. the Forces of Evil, so you kind of get to know those characters a little bit better, and you see them in more situations, but there's also a lot of filler in Star vs. the Forces of Evil, and there's very little filler in Gravity Falls because it's only two seasons long, and it's only 41 episodes, and it's only 16 hours of your life. So it tells its story and then got the fuck out. It did what it wanted to do and it stopped. And it didn't drag on. Star vs. the Forces of Evil really would have benefited from a fifth season. But Gravity Falls told its story and it told its story amazingly well in two seasons. And that's, that is a, a feat worthy of note in and of itself. A couple of shows can do it in one. A couple of shows need 12 this one did it in two, and that's that's awesome. So, if I had to tell you to watch one, it'd probably be Gravity Falls. If you want, like, what your middle school life could have been like if you had magic and shit, and, you know, fun romance, I guess, then Star vs. the Forces of Evil. Uh, if you want, like, the craziest summer you could possibly imagine... And you learn, like, the true meaning of family, and the family is the friends you make along the way, and you want to fucking cry like a child at the end of it, and then you go watch Gravity Falls. <sighs> god damn it. Oh, god. <sighs> it's been a long day. <sighs> okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to bed. I'm... I'm really happy I watched that show. That show was really good. You guys should all watch that show. Oh, God. 
I gotta read the comic book. I need to know. I need to know what happens to these fucking kids. Because I, I gotta know. Anyway, um, Wendy's the best. I'm gonna talk to you all later on the podcast. Oh, God. Chapter 2. Garden of Live Flowers. I was about to say Living Flowers, but it's not. It's Live Flowers. And it actually, this point of, like, reading this chapter reminded me that the original Disney Alice in Wonderland movie is actually inspired by the first two novels. So it actually takes elements from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass and the things Alice finds there. I believe is the title of this book. can't remember. But it, t- it takes things from both books and slams it together into one movie, which I find curious. I mean, not like out of the realm of, of stuff, but you could argue that the... Well, no, I suppose you couldn't. I was going to say the live-action adaptation may have been a better adaptation of the books, but that's wrong because the books or the movies add, like, a whole fucking mess of shit. So I think in terms of, like, the original whimsical kind of weird-ass nature, Disney gets the gets the gold on that one. So that's just my opinion. Anyway. I should see that garden far better, said Alice to herself, if I could get to the top of that hill. And here's a path that leads straight to it. At least, no, it doesn't do that. After going a few yards along the path and turning several sharp corners. But I suppose it will last, but how curiously it twists. It's more like a corkscrew than a path. Well, this turn goes to the hill, I suppose. No, it doesn't. This goes straight back to the house. Well, then I'll try the other way. And so she did, wandering up and down, trying turn after turn, but always coming back to the house. Do what she would. Indeed, once when she turned a corner rather more quickly than usual, she ran against it before she could stop herself. It's no use talking about it, said Alice, looking up at the house and pretending it was arguing with her. I'm not going in yet again, yet. I know I should have to get through the looking glass again, back into the old room, and there'd be the end of all my adventures. So resolutely turning back upon the house, she set out once more down the path, determined to keep straight on until she got to the hill. For a few minutes, all went well, and she was just saying, I really shall do it this time, when the path gave a sudden twist and shook itself, as described as she described it afterwards. Next moment, she found herself actually walking in at the door. Oh, it's too bad, she cried. I never saw such a house for getting in the way, never. However, there was the hill full in sight, so there was nothing to be done but start again. This time, she came upon a large flower bed with a border of daisies and a willow tree growing in the middle. Oh, Tiger Lily, said Alice, addressing herself to one that was waving gracefully about in the wind. I wish you could talk. We can talk, said the Tiger Lily. When there's anybody worth talking to, which there fucking ain't. Right now? Nope. I'ma shut up, said the Tiger Lily. Alice was so astonished that she could not speak for a minute. It seemed, it quite seemed to take her breath away. At length, as the Tiger Lily went on, waving about, she spoke again in a timid voice, almost in a whisper. Can all the flowers talk? As well as you can, said the Tiger Lily, and a great deal louder. It isn't manners for us to begin, you know, said the rose. And I was really wondering when you'd speak, I said to myself. Her face has got some sense to it, though it's not a clever one. Still, you're the right color, and that goes a long way. I don't care about the color, said the Tiger Lily, uh, remarked. If only her petals curled up a little more, she'd be all right. Alice didn't like being criticized, so she began asking questions. Aren't you sometimes frightened at being planted out here with nobody to take care of you? There's the tree in the middle, said the rose. What else is it good for? But what could it do if any danger comes? Alice asked. It could bark, said the rose. It says bow wow, cried the daisy. That's why its branches are called boughs. Didn't you know that, cried another daisy. And here they all began to shouting together till the air seemed quite full of their shrill little voices. 
Silence, every one of you, cried the tiger lowly, waving itself passionately from side to side and trembling with excitement. They know I can't get at them, it panted, bending its quivering head towards Alice. They wouldn't dare, um, they wouldn't dare to do it. Never mind, said Alice in a soothing tone, and stooping down to the daisies who were just beginning again. She whispered, if you don't hold your tongues, I'll pick you. There was a silence in a moment, and several of the pink daisies turned white. That's right, said the tiger lily. The daisies are the worst of all. When one speaks, they all begin together, and it's enough to make one wither to hear the uh, the way they go on. How is it you can all talk so nicely? Alice said, hoping to get back into a better temper by a compliment. I've been in many gardens before, but none of the flowers could talk. Put your hand down and feel the ground, said the tiger lily. Then you'll know why. Alice did. It's very hard, she said. I don't see what that's got to do with it. In most gardens, the tiger lily said, they make the beds too soft, so that the flowers are always asleep. This sounded a very good reason, and Alice was quite pleased to know it. I never thought of that before, she said. In my opinion, uh, it's my opinion that you never think at all, the rose said in a rather severe tone. I never said anyone that, uh, I never said anybody that looked stupider, said the violet, so suddenly that Alice quite jumped, for it hadn't spoken before. Hold your tongue, cried the tiger lily. As if you ever saw anybody, you keep your head under your leaves and snore all the uh, way there, till you know, uh, know more of what's going on in the world than if you were a bud. Are there, are there any more people in the garden besides me? Alice said, choosing not to notice the rose's last remark. There's one other flower in the garden that can move about like you, said the rose. I wonder how you do it. You're always wondering, said the tiger lily. But she's more bushy than you are. Is she like me? Alice asked eagerly for another thought crossed her mind. There's another little girl in the garden somewhere. Well, she has the same awkward shape as you, the rose said. But she's redder, and her petals are shorter, I think. Her petals are done up close. Almost like a delight... Dahlia. Dahlia. Like the, the murders. Black Dahlia murders. Yeah. The tiger lily interrupted. Not tumbled about anyway like yours. That's not your fault. The rose added kindly. You're beginning to fade you know. And then one can't help one's petals getting a little untidy. Alice didn't like this idea at all. So she changed the subject. Um. So to change the subject she asked. Does she ever come out here? I dare say you'll see her soon. Said the rose. She's one of the thorny kinds. Where does she wear the thorns? Alice asked with some curiosity. Why all around her head of course. Rose replied, I was wondering you hadn't got some, too. I thought it was a regular rule. She's coming, cried the larkspur. All right, I guess I'm going to flower. I hear footsteps thump, thump, thump along the gravel walk. Alice looked around eagerly and found it was the Red Queen. She's grown a great good deal, was her first remark. She had indeed. When Alice first found her in the ashes, uh, she had been only three inches high. And here she was, half a head taller than Alice herself. It's fresh air that does it, said the Rose. Wonderfully fine air it is out here. I think we'll go and meet her, said Alice, for though the flowers were interesting enough, she felt that it would be far grander to have a talk with the real queen. Can't possibly do that, said the rose. I shouldn't advise you should walk the other way. This sounded nonsense to Alice. So she said nothing, but set off at once to uh, the, the red queen. Uh, to her surprise, she lost sight of her in a moment and found herself walking in the front door again. A little provoked, she drew back, and after looking everywhere for the queen, whom she spied at last a long way off, she thought she would try uh, the plan, this time, of walking in the opposite direction. It succeeded beautifully. She had not been walking for a minute before she found herself face to face with the Red Queen and full inside of the hill she had been so long aiming at. Where'd you come from? Said the Red Queen. Where are you going? Look up, speak nicely, not twiddle your fingers all the time. Alice attended all these directions and explained as well as she could that she had lost her way. I don't know what you mean by your way, said the Queen. All the ways about here belong to me. But why didn't you come out, come out here at all? She added in a countertone. Curtsy while you're thinking what to say. It saves time. Alice wondered a little at this, but she was too much in awe of the queen to disbelieve it. I'll try it when I go home, she thought to herself. Next time I'm a little late for dinner. It's time for you to answer now, the queen said, looking at her watch. Open your mouth a little wider when you speak and always say your majesty. 
I wanted to see what the garden looked like, your majesty. That's right, said the queen, patting her on the head, which Alice didn't like at all. Though, when you say garden, I've seen gardens, compare with which this would be a wilderness. Alice didn't dare argue the point, but went on, and I thought I'd try to find my way to the top of that hill. When you say hill, the queen interrupted, I could show you hills in comparison to which you would call that a valley. No, I shouldn't, Alice said, surprised, um, in contradicting her alas. It can't be a valley, you know. That would be nonsense. The Red Queen shook her head. You may call it nonsense if you like, she said, but I've heard nonsense and compared to with what, uh, compared with which that would be as sensible as a dictionary. Alice curtsied again, as she was afraid of the Queen's tone that she was a little offended, and they walked down in silence till they got to the top of the little hill. For some minutes, Alice stood without speaking, looking in all directions over the country, and a most curious country it was. There were a number of tiny little brooks running straight across it from side to side, and the ground between was divided up into squares like a number of little green hedges that reached from brook to brook. I declare it's marked out just like a large chessboard, said Alice at last. There ought to be some men moving about somewhere. And so there they are, she added in a tone of delight as her heart began to beat with quick excitement as she went on. It's a great huge game of chess that's being played all over the world. If this is the world at all, you know. Oh, what fun it is. How I wish I was one of them. I wouldn't mind being a pawn. If only I might join. Though, of course, I should like to be a queen. Best. So, this this one, far more than the first one, gives me the sense that this shit's a dream. Because it may have happened in the first book, but I didn't notice it happening as clearly as I'm noticing it here. Where Alice will wish for a thing, and that thing will immediately occur. And that's because she is in, like, lucid control of her fever dream. Like, the first book is almost undeniably a dream. Like, that's what happens. She falls asleep and wakes up in the exact same location at the beginning and the end of the book. So that one's pretty well written away as being a dream. This one certainly seems to be lending itself that way. Now, if there's some kind of twist at the end where, you know, it's legit, then more power to you but it sure feels like a dream because she wants a thing and then it becomes the thing so we'll find out she glanced rather shyly at the real queen as she said this but her companion only smiled pleasantly and said that's easily managed you can be the white queen's pawn if you like and lily's too young to play so and you're in the second square to begin with when you get to the eighth square you'll be a queen just at this moment something or other they began to run alice could never make out um never quite make out in thinking over it afterwards how it was that they began? All she remembers is they were running hand in hand and the queen went so fast that it was all she could do to keep up with her. And still the queen kept crying, faster, faster. But Alice felt she could not go faster, though she had not the breath left to say so. The most curious part of the thing was that the trees and other things around them never changed their places at all, however fast they went. They never seemed to pass or anything. I wonder if all the things are moving along with us, uh, thought poor puzzled Alice. And the queen seemed to guess her thoughts and she cried, faster, don't try to talk. Not that Alice had any idea of doing that. She felt as if she would never be able to talk again. She was getting much, so much out of breath, and still the queen cried faster, faster, and dragged her along. Are we nearly there? Alice managed to pant out at last. Nearly there, the queen replied. Um, repeated. Why, we passed it ten minutes ago. Faster! And they ran on for a time in silence, with the wind whistling in Alice's ears and almost blowing her hair off her head, she fancied. Now, now, cried the queen. Faster! Faster! And they went on fast, um... So fast, at last, they seemed to skim through the air, hardly touching the ground with their feet, till, suddenly, just as Alice was getting quite exhausted, they stopped, and she found herself sitting on the ground, breathless and giddy. Queen propped her up against a tree and said kindly, You may rest a little now. Alice looked around her in great surprise. I do believe we're under the tree the whole time. Everything's just as it was. Of course it is, said the queen. Um, 
uh, what would you have it? Well, in our country, Alice said, still panting a little, you'd generally get somewhere else if you ran as, uh, very fast for a long time as we've been doing. A slow sort of country, said the queen. Now here, you see, it takes all the running you, um, you can do. It keeps you in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you may, uh, run at least twice as fast as that. I'd rather not try, please, said Alice. I'm quite content to stay here, only I am so hot and thirsty. I know what you'd like, said the queen, good-naturedly taking out a little box out of her pocket. Have a biscuit. Alice thought it would be not be civil to say no, though wasn't at all what she wanted. So she took it and ate it as well she could, and it was very dry, and she thought she had never uh, been so nearly choked in all her life. Well, I am going to take a delicious swig of tea. Thirst quenching. Thirst quenching indeed. Do, 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 do. While you're refreshing yourself, said the queen, I'll just take the measurements. And she took a ribbon out of her pocket, marked in inches, began measuring the ground and sticking little pegs in here and there. At the end of two yards, she said, putting a peg in to mark the distance, I should give you your directions. Have another biscuit? No, thank you, said Alice. Once quite enough. Thirst quenched, I hoped, said the queen. Alice did not know what to say to this, but luckily the queen did not wait for an answer. And why not? At the end of three yards, I shall repeat them, for fear of you forgetting them. At the end of four, I shall say goodbye, and at the end of five, I shall go. She had gotten all the pegs put in this time, and Alice looked on with great interest as she returned to the tree, then slowly began walking down the road. At the two-yard peg, she faced round and said, A pond goes two squares in its first move, you know. So you'll go very quickly through the third square by railway, I should think. You'll find yourself in the fourth square in no time. Well, that square belongs to Tweedledee and Tweedledum. The fifth is mostly water, and the sixth belongs to Humpty Dumpty. Uh, but you make no remark. I, I didn't know I had to make one. Just then, Alice faltered out. You should have said, it's extremely kind of you to tell me all this. However, uh, we'll suppose it said. Uh, the seventh square is all forced. However, one of the knights will show you the way, and in the eighth square shall be the queens together, and it's all feasting and fun. Alice got up and curtsied and sat down again. At the next peg, the queen turned again. Uh, this time she said, speak in French when you can't hear, uh, when you can't think of the English for thing. Turn out your toes as you walk, and remember who you are. She did not wait for Alice to curtsy this time, but walked quickly on to the next peg, where she turned for a moment to say goodbye, and then hurried on to the last. How it happened, Alice never knew, but exactly as she came to the last peg, she was gone. Whether she vanished into the air, or whether she ran quickly into the wood, she can run very fast, thought Alice. There was no way of guessing, but she was gone. And Alice began to remember that she was a pawn, and that soon it would be time for her to move. Interesting. Interesting. So the whole thing set up like a chess board, and we saw the rules of the chess in the beginning of the book. Interesting. What are you getting at? I don't really know. So a couple of days, weeks, days, days ago. A uh, new game landed for the Nintendo Switch called Animal Crossing New Horizons. And I have never played an Animal Crossing game before, but I was fairly familiar with Stardew Valley. And um, honest to God, I was going to give Animal Crossing a pass. But um, after seeing uh, some people on YouTube play it, uh, Griffin McElroy, and um, God, with this whole fucking quarantine stay-at-home thing going on I was like you know what I could use some some levity uh, in, in my life and so I picked it up and it is everything I didn't know I wanted from a video game like this it's super relaxing um, 
the 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 gameplay itself is fairly simplistic at least in the beginning um you have a really kind of clear set thing of goals all the characters are really like fun and their personalities are very rich um i was able to hang out on some of my friends islands uh just kind of hanging around the customizability of what you wear what your house looks oh god what your house looks like what the island looks like your ability to like move shit around um is pretty phenomenal and i'm very excited to watch it go from deserted island with tents to i just got my first house um and it's got a lovely little blue roof and i love it um actually i haven't seen what the inside of it looks like i just i i you know i started the game and i my character walks out of his house and i was like oh i have a house now um so that's very cool um, I love the collectathon. Gotta get all the fish. Gotta get all the insects. And if I've already got it, I'm gonna sell that shit. Um, the fossils. Oh my god, the fossils. It's it's really good. I love that little sound that they make when you talk to them. Like the... I don't even know. It's fairly close. Um, yeah, it's it's just really good. And it's everything I want. What I also appreciate like... There was a moment last night when I was playing the game where it was like, I ordered my new house, I paid the first debt, I gave Blathers enough shit to build the museum. But because it operates on real time, like, a, a day in game is a day in real life. Like, you've got that, that day to do shit, and then when you go to bed, your character goes to bed, and then you wake up and there's new shit to do, because it's a new day. So you could fuck with the internal clock on your Switch, I guess, if you really wanted to. But since it's connected to the internet, I'm not really sure if that's possible. Um, but it also prevents me from playing the game for all hours of the day and night. So I do appreciate it for that as well. Like, I had a moment where I was like, I literally can't do anything else in this game because my inventory is full and I can't get rid of it because it's full of new specimens to give the blathers and fucking the museum's closed. So, I gotta, I gotta hold this shit and wait. I'm sure there's a way I can build, like, a chest or something where I can just hoard my stuff, but I haven't figured out how to do that yet. Um, so yeah, it was like, I'm done. So I shut the game off and I went to bed at a reasonable hour, so I very much appreciated the game for that. It's kind of, not really roadblocking me, it's more of like a, you've done today's stuff, go to bed. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. Um, so I'm very, very much a fan of that, uh, especially... Um, gives me something to play until Monday when I can start playing Persona 5 Royal. I think I can actually start playing that at like midnight tomorrow because uh, I downloaded it on PS4. So I think I'll be able to play that pretty much instantly. Um, that's bad news, Bears, because I actually have uh, my weekend uh, coming up. Shit. Well, we'll see. We'll see if I want to pull that sort of maneuver or just play it when I wake up in the morning. I don't know. But Animal Crossing New Horizon is really good. And if you have a Switch, I would almost call this game a, uh, a must-have. Especially if you're looking for something to take your mind off what's currently going on. It's a lot of fun. Let's move on to the next thing in the podcast. Very late at night, but I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about a show before I go to take a shower and play Animal Crossing for far, far too many hours. Um... On Disney Plus, I know, I know, we talk about it a lot, but on Disney Plus, there's a brand new cooking show called Be Our Chef, and I've been looking forward to this show since Disney Plus was really announced, because this was one of the shows they were, like, 
you know, talking about um, to get people to subscribe to their service. And Be Our Chef is a family cooking competition show um, where parents and children cook side by side. Um, and there is a different theme of the week. Like the first theme is Cinderella. There's only been one episode so far at the time we're recording this. Um, the host is, I can't remember who she was in the office, but I'm 90% sure she's from the office. Um, she has blonde hair, if that, if that helps. Um, I've never really seen the office, so I can't be like, oh, it's Pam or it's definitely not Pam. Um, I can't remember who the fuck it is, but, um, I'm pretty sure she's from the office and it's like half an hour long. Um, and it is a combination of cooking show and like, look at these families have fun in the Disney parks and the family that wins gets to go on a Disney cruise. And at the end of the first episode, the family that won got like Cinderella pins and it's all fucking super insular in Disney, which makes sense because it's on Disney plus. But the bit that I really enjoyed was the fact that the judges for the food that the families cook are chefs from Disney park restaurants. And I'm like, that's awesome. They're not celebrity chef judges. These are actual chefs who cook and who never in a million years thought they were going to be on a TV show where they were going to eat the food of families and, you know, test it out. And the first guy out there was chef Douglas who uh, cooks at the boardwalk resort in Walt Disney world. And Dude looked super, like, nice. He just seems like a really cool dude. And he gets up there and he's like, you know, this is pretty tasty, but this shit super isn't. And he didn't pull any punches. And I'm like, that seemed like an honest-to-God review of their food. And I very much appreciate that. And it just, it does what I want Disney to do. It makes me smile and it makes me happy. And that's that's all I ever expect from Disney content. Sorry. <laughs> It's very late at night, and I'm mildly drunk. But it was a really good show, or an episode, rather. Um, it's over very quickly, um, and it, it really doesn't have a lot of time in terms of, like, the cooking of things. Um, it really kind of accelerates because it's only half an hour long, which seems a curious choice, um, but then again, who knows? Perhaps they realize that the attention span of the average viewer and when it comes to stuff like this is pretty short, but... I am very accustomed to most of my cooking shows being an hour long, so you could slow it down. The pacing is fairly fast and hectic, but it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be that fast and hectic. Um, you could you could really kind of spread that out, but perhaps they just didn't want to. I don't know. But yeah, that's a new thing, and if you like cooking shows, I don't think you'll hate this one, especially if you like Disney. If you like cooking shows and Disney, you're you're gonna love it you're gonna love it because i love it and that's how you know anyway let's move on to the next thing in the podcast chapter three looking glass insects of course the first thing to do was to make a grand survey of the country she was going to travel through it's something very like learning geography thought alice as she stood on tiptoes in hopes of being able to see a little further principal um rivers there are none principal mountains i'm on the only one but I don't think it's got any name. Uh, principal towns? Why, what are those creatures making honey down there? They can't be bees. Nobody ever saw bees a mile off, you know. And for some reason, she stood silent, watching one of them that was bustling among the flowers. Poking its uh, proboscis into them. Just as if it was a regular bee, thought Alice. 
However, this would... Well, bees don't have proboscises. They have mandibles. And they also don't drink nectar like that. They rub it on their ass and feet. Hmm. Alrighty. Um, however, this was anything but a regular bee. In fact, it was an elephant. Oh, okay. As Alice soon found out. Though the idea quite took her breath away at first. What enormous flowers they must be. Uh, her next idea was something like cottages with roofs taken off and stalks put in them. And what quantity of honey they must make. I think I'll go down and... No, I won't. J not just yet. She went on checking herself just as she was beginning to run down the hill and trying to find some excuse for uh, turning sigh, 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 shy, shy so suddenly. It'll never do to go down among them without a good long branch to brush them away. What fun it'll be to, um, it'll be when they ask me how I like my walk. How I like my walk. I, say, I shall say, oh, I like it well enough. Here the, came the favorite little toss of her head. Only it was so dusty and hot and the elephants did tease so... I think I'll go down the other way, she said after a pause, and perhaps I may visit the elephants later on. Besides, I do so want to get into the third square. So with this excuse, she ran down the hill and jumped over the first of the six little brooks. Ticket, please, said the god, putting his head in at the window. In a moment, everybody was holding out a ticket. They were all the same size as the people and quite seemed, um, yep, quite seemed to fill the carriage. Now then, show your ticket, child. The guard went on looking angrily at Alice, and a great many voices all t t said together, like the chorus of a song, thought Alice. Don't keep him waiting, child. Why, his time is worth a thousand pounds a minute. I'm afraid I haven't got one, Alice said um, in a frightened tone. There wasn't a ticket office when I came from. And again, the chorus of voices went on. There wasn't room uh, for one when she came from. There, this land is worth a thousand pounds an inch. Don't make excuses, said the guard. You should have brought one from the engine driver. And once more, the uh, chorus of voices went on with... The man that drives the engine. Why, the puff alone is worth a thousand pounds a puff. Alice thought to herself... Then there's no use in speaking. The voices didn't join in this time as she hadn't spoken, but to her great surprise, they all thought in chorus. I hope you understand what thinking in chorus means, for I must confess that I don't. Better say nothing at all. Language is worth a thousand pounds a word. I shall dream a thousand pounds tonight. I know I shall, thought Alice. All this time, the guard was looking at her, the first through a telescope, then through a microscope, and then through opera glasses. At last, he said, you're traveling the wrong way, and shut up the window and went away. So young, so young a child, said a gentleman sitting opposite her. He was dressed in white paper. Ought to know which way she's going, even if she doesn't know her own name. A goat that was sitting next to the gentleman in white shut his eyes and said aloud in a voice, She ought to know her way to the ticket office, even if she doesn't know her alphabet. There was a beetle sitting next to the goat. It was a very queer carriage full of passengers altogether. And as a rule, it seemed to be that they should all speak in turn. He went on with, She'll have to go back from here as luggage. Alice couldn't see who was sitting beyond the beetle, but a hoarse voice spoke next. Change engines, it said, and was obliged to leave off. Sounds like a horse, Alice thought to herself. And an extremely small voice close to her ear said, Uh, you might make a joke on that. Something about horse and horse, you know. So then a very gentle voice in the distance said, She must be labeled last with care, you know. And after that, other voices went on. What a number of people there are in this carriage, thought Alice, saying. She must go by post. She's got a head on her. She must be sent as a message by the telegraph. She must draw the train herself the rest of the way, and so on. But the gentleman dressed in white paper leaned forward and whispered in her ear, Never mind what they all say, my dear. Take a return ticket every time the train stops. Indeed, I shan't, Alice said rather impatiently. I don't belong to this railway journey at all. I was just in the wood now, and I wish I could get back there. You might make a joke on that, said the little voice uh, close to her. Something about you would if you could, you know. Don't tease so, said Alice, looking about in vain to see where the voice came from. If you're so anxious to have a joke made, why don't you make one yourself? The little voice sighed deeply. It was a very unhappy, evidently, and Alice would have said something pitying to comfort it. 
If it would only sigh like other people, she thought. But this was a wonderfully small sigh, um, that she wouldn't have heard it at all if it hadn't come quite so close to her ear. The consequence of this was that it tickled her ear very much, and quite um, took off her thoughts from the unhappiness of the poor little creature. I know you're a friend. Oh, I know you're a friend, the little voice went on. A dear friend and an old friend. And you wouldn't hurt me, though I am an insect. What kind of insect? Alice inquired a little anxiously. What she really wanted to know was um, whether it could sting or not. But she thought it wouldn't be quite civil to ask this question. What? Um, what? Then you don't, the little voice began when it was drowned by a shil shrill scream from the engine and everybody jumped in alarm. Alice among the rest. The horse, who had put his head out the window, drew uh, qu quietly drew it in and said, It's only a brook we have to jump over. Um, everybody seemed satisfied with this, though Alice felt a little nervous at the idea of trains jumped at all. However, it'll take us into the fourth square, and, um, however, it'll take us into the fourth square, that's some comfort, she said to herself. In another moment, she felt the carriage rise straight into the air, and in her fright, she caught at the thing nearest in her hand, which happened to be the goat's beard. That the beard seemed to melt away, she touched it, and she found herself sitting quietly under a tree, while the gnat, for that's what the insect she had been talking to, was balancing itself on a twig just over her head, and fanning her with its wings. It certainly was a very large gnat. About the size of a chicken, Alice thought. Still, she couldn't feel nervous with it after all they'd been talking together for so long. A gnat the size of a chicken would be utterly terrifying. Anyway. Then you don't like all insects, the gnat went on as quietly as if nothing had happened. I like them when they can talk. I don't. I super fucking don't. Insects are the worst. None of them ever talk where I come from. What sort of insects do you rejoice in where you come from? The gnat in inquired. I don't rejoice in insects at all, Alice explained, because I'm rather afraid of them, at least the large kinds, but I can tell you the names of some of them. Of course they answer to their names, the gnat remarked carelessly. I never knew them to do it. Um, what's the use of them having names, the gnat said, if they won't answer to them? No use to them, said Alice, but it's useful to people who name them, I suppose. If not, why do things have names at all? I can't say, the gnat replied. Further on, in the wood down there, they've got no names. However, go on with your list of insects. You're wasting time. Well, there's the horsefly. Alice began counting off their names on her fingers. All right. The gnat said, halfway up that bush, you'll see a rocking horsefly if you look. It's made entirely of wood and gets about by swinging itself from branch to branch. What does it live on? Alice asked with great curiosity. Sap and sawdust, said the gnat. Go on with the list. Alice looked up at the rocking horsefly with great interest and made up her mind that it must have just been repainted. It looked so bright and sticky. And then she went on. And then there's the dragonfly. Look at that branch above your head, said the gnat. And there you'll find the snap dragonfly. Its body is made of plum pudding, its wings of holly leaves, and its head is a raisin burning in brandy. Oh, that's what these terrifying weird art pictures were from the page previously. Um, the dragonfly, the horse, rocking horsefly, the snap dragonfly with the holly leaves. Yep, yep, yep. And it looks like there's going to be a third insect as well. I don't know what it is just by looking at it, though. Do, do, do. And what does it live on? Frumenti? Frumenti! All right. Looks like I get to look something up. Frumenti. 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 It was a popular dish in Western Europe medieval cuisine. It is a porridge, a thick-boiled grain dish, hence its name, which derives from the Latin word frumentum, grain. It was usually made with cracked wheat boiled with either milk or broth and was a peasant staple. Blech! <laughs> puke in my mouth, why don't you? That sounds terrible. Okay. Frumentian mince pie, the gnat replied. 
and it makes its nest in a Christmas box. And then there's the butterfly. Of course, it's a butterfly. Alice went on. After she had taken a good look at the insect with its head on fire and thought to herself, I wonder if that's the reason insects are so fond of flying into candles. Because they want to turn into snapdragonflies. They fly into candles because it's light and it's warm and they're dumb. Then they die. Crawling at your feet, said the gnat. Alice drew her feet back in some alarm. You may observe a bread and butter fly. Its wings are thin slices of bread and butter. Its body is a crust and its head is a lump of sugar. What does it live on? Weak tea with cream in it. A new difficulty came to Alice and said, Supposing you couldn't find any, she suggested. Then would die, of course. That must happen very often, Alice rem uh, remarked thoughtfully. It always happens, said the gnat. After this, Alice was silent for a minute or two, pondering. The gnat amused itself, meanwhile, by humming round and round her head. At last it settled again and remarked, I suppose you don't want to lose your name? No, indeed, said Alice a little anxiously. Yet I don't know, the gnat went on in a careless tone. Only think how convenient it would be if you could manage to go home without it. For instance, if the governess wanted to call you to your lesson, she would call out, Come here! And then she would have to leave off because there wouldn't be any name for her at all. And of course, you wouldn't have to go, you know. That would never do, I'm sure, said Alice. The governess would never think of excusing me um, lessons for that. Ex never think of excusing me lessons for that! <laughs> says me. So, I don't... Whatever. <clears throat> if she can remember my name, she would call me Miss, as the servants do. Wow, servants, aren't we, Lottie da Fucking money bags over here. Oh, I've got servants and the, the governess is actually beneath me as I'm Princess Alice Longbottom. Anyway. Um, does Alice have a last name? It's not I was about to say it's Darling. Nope, that's um that's Wendy from Peter Pan. Um I can't wait to read that book. I might do that one next. Um all these classic Disney books. Do 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 where the fuck was I? Um Well, if she said miss and didn't say anything more than that remarked, of course you'd miss your lessons. Ha! That's a, that's, a, that's a joke. I wish you had made it. Why do you wish I had made it, Alice Act? It's a very bad one. But the gnat only sighed deeply while two large tears came rolling down its cheeks. You shouldn't make jokes, Alice said, if it makes you so unhappy. Then came another of those melancholy little sighs, and this time the poor gnat really seemed to have sighed itself away, for when Alice looked up, there was nothing whatsoever to be seen on the twig. And as she was getting quite chilly with sitting still for so long, she got up and walked on. She very soon came to an open field with a wood on the other side of it, looked much darker than the last wood, and Alice felt a little timid about going in. However, on second thoughts, she made up her mind to go on. For I certainly won't go back, she thought to herself, and this was the only way to the eighth square. This must be the wood, she uh, said thoughtfully to herself, where things have no names. I wonder what will become of my name when I go in. I shouldn't like to lose it at all, because they'd have to give me another, and it, most, and it would be almost certain to be an ugly one. But then the fun wouldn't be trying to find the creature that got my old name. It's just like the advertisements, as you know, when people lose their dogs. Answers to the name of Dash. Has a brass collar. Just fancy calling everything you met Alice till one of them answered. Only thing they wouldn't answer at all if they were wise. She rambled on in this way when she reached the wood. It looked very cool and shady. Um, this one, this also PDF, for some reason, is riddled with typos. Cool and have been smushed together to make one word, which is cool and. Anyway. Well, at any rate, it's a great comfort, she said as she stepped into the trees. After being so hot, to get into the... Into what, she went on, rather surprised at not being able to think of the word. I mean, to get under the... Under the... Under this, you know, putting her hand on the trunk of the tree. What does it call itself, I wonder? I do believe it's got no name. Why, it... Why, to be sure, it hasn't. She stood silent for a minute, thinking. Then she suddenly began again. Then it really has happened, after all. And how? Who am I? I will remember if I can. I'm determined to do it. But being determined didn't help much. As all she could say after a great deal of puzzle was L. I know it begins with an L. Just then a fawn came wandering in. Sure. It looked at Alice with large gentle eyes, but didn't seem at all frightened. 
Here then, here then, Alice said and held out her hand to try to stroke it, but it was only started back a little, and stood looking at her again. What do you call yourself? The fawn said at last. It had such a, oh, had a soft, sweet voice. Okay. What do you call yourself? The fawn said at last. I wish I knew, thought poor Alice. She answered rather sadly. Nothing just now. Think again, it said. That won't do. Alice thought, but nothing came of it. Please, would you tell me what you call yourself? She said timidly. I think that might help a little. I'll tell you. You'll move a little further on, said the fawn. Can't remember here. So they walked on together through the wood. Alice with her arm clasped lovingly round the soft neck of the fawn, till they came into another open field, and here the fawn gave a sudden bound into the air and shook itself free from Alice's arms. I'm a fawn, it cried out in a voice of delight, and dear me, you're a human child. A sudden look of alarm came into his beautiful brown eyes, and in another moment it had darted away at full speed. Alice stood looking after it, almost ready to cry with vexation at having lost her dear little fellow traveler so suddenly. However, I know my name now, she said. That's some comfort. Alice. Alice. I won't forget it again. And now, which of these finger posts ought I to follow, I wonder? Not a very difficult question to answer, since there was only one road through the wood and the two finger posts pointed alongside it. I'll settle it, um, Alice said to herself, when the road divides and they point different ways. But this did not seem likely to happen. She went on and on a long way. Wherever the road divided, there were sure to be two finger posts pointing the same way. One marked to Tweedledum's house and the other to the house of Tweedledee. I do believe... Alice said at last, that they live in the same house. I wonder I never thought of that before, but I can't stay that long. I'll just call and say, how do you do, and ask them the way out of the wood. I can only get to the eighth square before it gets dark. So she wandered on, talking to herself as she went on, till, on turning a sharp corner, she came upon two fat little men so suddenly that she could not help staring back. But in another moment, she recovered, feeling sure that they must be. And that's actually the end of the chapter, that it is an incomplete sentence, because the next chapter is chapter 4, Twilly and Twiddle Dump, but it's a feeling so sure that they must be. Come play with us, Alice. We can play forever and ever. I've never actually seen The Shining, but I've seen enough of popular media to basically know everything about The Shining. So, so there you go. Thank you all very much for listening to this week's episode of The Going Upcast. I hope you enjoyed the beginning of Through the Looking Glass and all the other fun stuff that we've talked about this week. I hope you're all staying safe. Wash your hands. Stay warm. Stay inside. You know, lots of great video games to play. Just keep hunkering down and hopefully soon he said unsure we're all unsure the world's a mystery right now but we'll get through it together um one way or another and i'll see you on the other side of this have a good week everyone